We read in uh, Ruth chapter 4 this. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabites, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Amen. Uh, here we have this little section where to, to formalize a transaction uh, for property, you would remove your sandal and give it to the person that um, you uh, were doing the deal with. It's quite funny that, isn't it? You can imagine some estate agent somewhere has just got shelves and shelves of one sandal. And uh, maybe, you know, on the other occasion, he asks for the left one because I've got the matching pair for that and makes up a pair. But it's a little bit of an insight. And in some ways, uh, we, we read it and we think, well, why is that there? What, why is something as strange as that there? Well, it does help us, you know. I think it helps us to see that this is a recording of an actual event. You know, it's historically being recorded, isn't it? In one sense, here we have this story, and then slap bang in the middle, we read about the idea that uh, they passed over a sandal. It's clearly, when it was written, it wasn't the way things were when it was written, because it says, now in earlier times in Israel, in other words, this account was written later, but it was written by somebody 
who was writing it as a historical event, giving that little bit of insight into what went on before, helping us to have a confidence that what we read here is history, real events going on. We're going to see more of that next week, and we're going to see why it's important that it is actually a historical account. It is actually events that took place. But here we have um, Boaz now uh, sitting at a town gate. We need to remind ourselves of the story so far and see how we got to this point. Elimelech, in the face of famine, in God's land, in Bethlehem, the place of bread is, the, is what Bethlehem means. In the, uh, living in Bethlehem, living in the place of bread, in the face of famine, takes his family away from Bethlehem and decides, that's really important that we see this, he decides to settle in Moab, 50 miles away. 50 miles at that time was the difference between starvation and living, it would seem. It's a short distance. It's not as though he had to travel thousands of miles. He could have traveled in a a number of other directions, but he chose Moab. We need to remind ourselves why that is significant. What is Moab? It's a people group that came from, uh, back in Genesis, we read of uh, Abraham's nephew Lot, who at the end of his life found himself living in a cave, with his two daughters who got him drunk and had incestuous relationships with him, and one of those children was Moab. Uh, And so Moab became, if you like, the father to the Moabites and to the land of Moab. It was historically known and recognized that the Moabites continued in the same kind of uh, moral uh, uh, condition, disastrous moral condition, that they were first fathered in. Uh, That's one of the clear things that we see portrayed. We see that that reference. They continued to live as a people group, uh, a life which was just uh, devoid of any kind of moral responsibility. That's important, isn't it, that we see that? Because what we see is Elimelech decided to take his family for safety into a place which was spiritually disastrous for them. That's what he decided to do. It's almost as though it's opening up for us at the beginning of the book. Here, guys, is our responsibility. And let us learn our responsibility, spiritual responsibility, for the welfare of our family, for the welfare of our future families, if we don't currently... Uh, have a family, if we set ourselves at this point in time by understanding what our spiritual responsibilities are, whether we are there yet or not. And one of the uh, ways in which we understand those things is by seeing how not to do it. (laughs) And how not to do it is to take your family and to live in a place which is spiritually destitute. That's the picture that we see. Now, we don't live anymore in, in a world which is, if you like, demarked by spiritual behaviors, by people groups. We're, we're far more, um, we cover uh, that kind of breadth throughout. Our responsibility is to think, well, how, what does that mean for me today? 
It means that I'm, I am, as a father, I am, as a husband, spiritually responsible for the well-being of my family. Uh, I am accountable before God for that. Uh, and therefore, I am responsible for, for creating an environment, for, for creating a, a framework in which uh, there is safety spiritually. There is protection, there is wise counsel, there is uh, good intent. That's one of the things that we see. The outcome of their decision to travel to Moab is that uh, Elimelech died, Marlon and Killian die, and uh, as we know, uh, Naomi is widowed, Ruth and Orpah are widowed, the two uh, Moabite asses who Mar um, Marlon and Killian had married. Naomi encourages the girls to stay with her own people because she's now decided to go back to Bethlehem. But Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi. She makes this dramatic, brave, wonderful statement of faith. Don't force me to go back. Don't separate me. Don't don't push me away from the opportunity to be part of your family. I want your God to be my God. I, I just think uh, there's another wonderful practical insight here. Naomi's life for Ruth in some way has been so clearly marked by a relationship with God that Ruth sees this woman, this mother-in-law, you know, all of the cliched mother-in-law jokes don't. Uh, appear in this family because Naomi is the kind of mother-in-law who Ruth looks at and says not only do I want to be with you but I want your God to be my God because I have seen something of your God <laughs> in the life that you live in, in the most extreme pain I mean she's lost her husband she's lost her two sons there are many reasons why you might say, well, in the basis of that, she's got no reason to carry on serving this God. She's not got no reason to carry on having a faith in this God. And yet she does. She does continue to have a faith in that God. And Ruth sees it and she says, in the face of that kind of adversity, I want that God to be my God. I'm coming with you. Only death will separate us. They go back to Bethlehem and uh, we find that as the story unfolds, uh, Ruth finds herself in this temporary uh, job uh, gleaning uh, corn, gleaning wheat or barley, uh, whatever was in the fields, and she gathers this barley um, following on behind the harvesters, and it just so happens that she finds herself in the field of Boaz. Naomi's mentioned Boaz. He is a, a, a kinsman of Elimelech, and uh, in those days for protection, for the ongoing uh, family to be maintained. The idea was that um, the widow would be uh, taken on by the kinsman redeemer who would, con who would protect her, would keep her, would provide a family with her. That's the way uh, before the idea of the welfare state how people uh, were protected. And it's interesting that we have in the law of God uh, even the very beginnings, the foundations of, of protection and care uh, and the idea that we care for those who are weaker, we care for those who can't provide for themselves, we step up to the mark and we take responsibility, not just spiritually but practically as well. So Ruth finds herself 
in that situation and over the weeks it seems as though there's something bubbling away with Boaz and Ruth. He starts to notice her. He starts to see her and then Naomi makes this uh, kind of brave, crazy idea. Ruth, go and uh, when he's asleep at the end of the day, just go and lie at his feet and, um, and do whatever he says. <laughs> that, that sounds just so scary, doesn't it? Uh, you go and, and go to this guy who's sleeping in the threshing floor, having worked all day, having uh, had a drink with the guys at the end of the day. That's what it says. Uh, you go and you sleep at his feet. You show that you are willing uh, to be there for him and trust him and do whatever he says. Guys, how many, how many uh, women could advise their daughters to do that with us? That's a, that's a real question, that, isn't it? Why was Naomi willing to do that? Why wasn't she feeling as though she's putting Ruth in an incredibly dangerous situation? Because she knew the character of Boaz. She knew the kind of man he was. She knew what kind of uh, security and protection, provision he'd made already. She knew she could trust him. She knew she could entrust Ruth to Boaz's safekeeping, even in that kind of environment. And Boaz is the kind of guy we want to be. You know, when I grow up, I want to be like Boaz. <laughs> That's the kind of guy we want to be. And we find Boaz here, and Ruth basically says, spread the cover of your blanket, spread the cover over me. In other words, she invites Boaz to propose to her. <laughs> wow. Uh, she, gets, uh, she kind of finds herself uh, in the way of a good guy. Uh, somebody very helpfully said, she didn't chase him, but boy, did she get in the way of him. I think it's a great idea, that, isn't it? You get in the way of good guys. Get in the way of a good girl. Uh, find somebody who is a good person and then behave and act with dignity and protection and love and compassion. So we find, basically, Boaz says, okay, uh, trust me in this. Leave it with me. Trust me. I'm just shocked. I am blown away that you might want to marry me. Here you are. You're a young, beautiful woman. Boaz is saying, I, I, you're not chasing after the younger guys. You've not found yourself in Bethlehem with Naomi. Got a bit of security there. And now you've just gone off and found the first person to marry. You're wanting to do it God's way. According to the law of God, that's what you're looking for. You're the kind of woman that is right for me. That's, that's, that's the kind, but I'm just amazed. Because look at me, I'm an older guy, and uh, I'm just amazed that you might want to marry me. It's not just that you want to marry me that gave Ruth something of great appeal to Boaz. It was the fact that Ruth was clearly wanting to follow and obey the pathway of God. And so we find that, that, that um, Boaz says, well, listen, there is somebody who has more of a right as a kinsman redeemer 
to you than me. There is somebody closer in the family links, in the family chain. I can't go uh, and, and do this ahead of time, but leave it with me, he said. Just leave it with me. Uh, and, and um, well, Boaz doesn't sit on his backside and think about it and wonder about it and try to weigh up whether it's a great thing to do. Try to weigh up what the cost is going to be. Try to decide whether it's, oh, should I commit? Oh, I'm not sure about this. He just gets on and does it. He just steps up and does it. Because the next day we find him down at the town gate. He's following through on the promises that he's made to Ruth. Leave it with me. I'll sort it. I'll do it. And then he doesn't just go back and, and daydream or look at his bank account or decide whether he wants to go on holiday with the guys uh, this summer instead or wonders whether, can I, real, can I really be a, a husband? Can I commit? What's it going to do uh, to my street cred? What's it going to do to me? Am I the kind of guy that's able to do this? You know, he, does, he just says, right, I'm going to step up. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to take this responsibility. And the next day, he's at the town gate. And we find him there. Now, now Boaz gets really smart. Really smart. He is, he's, there's a man on a mission. He's going, to, he's going to make sure that this works out. We see him there. And he sees the kinsman redeemer. And uh, the way he, he says, uh, come over here, my friend, as he sees him. Oh, you know, hiya, mate, come and sit down. How are you doing? Come and sit down with me. I want to chat to you. Uh, and then straight away, uh, as he sits the kinsman redeemer down, he then says, right, now let, let's get uh, ten of the elders of the town. Guys, I've got a business deal to transact here. I want you to come and witness it. Come and sit down here. I, I mean... Just as you see that unfolding, just as you see that the behavior of Boaz unfolding here, don't you just see somebody who is there and in control and doing what he needs to do and taking responsibility and just being a man? You know, the guy comes along and he says, right, come and sit down here. Guys, come and sit down here. Now, listen to me. It's just great to see. He is a guy on a mission. He's going to win Ruth here. And there's a barrier. There is a, there is a legal barrier to him winning Ruth. But nothing's going to stop him. Uh, tell me, uh, you know that Naomi's back from Moab? And she's got this piece of land that our brother Elimelech had and she's wanting to sell it. Uh, are, you, are you interested? I mean, it's, it's going cheap. Are you interested in buying this, this piece of land? And uh, the kinsman redeemer, the near kinsman redeemer, says, yes, absolutely, I'll buy it. Fantastic. Sounds like a great deal. I, I just love the way, the way Boaz negotiates this. He's just so smart. First step. Here's the, here's the, here's the bait. 
you want to buy a nice piece of land? Sounds like a great deal. Do you want to buy this? Oh, I'll buy it. <laughs> oh, just um, by the way, while we think on, just let me mention, just let me remind you um, that, well, let me read it to you. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi and, and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. <laughs> There's the sting in the tail. He's, he's kind of just flicked out the bait, reeling him in, and now here's the sting. Poof, the hook's set. Because you see, there is responsibility. This isn't a free ride. I, and I, I, I'm going to make you feel as if it sounds great, but then I'm going to tell you how it is. I just love the way Boaz sets this, sets this in place. He, he just, he is determined. Not by, not by guile, not, not by some sort of um, immoral, sort of unethical behavior, but just in wise, smart conversation. He makes sure that he is going to win Ruth. Because Ruth is worth winning, but there's a legal problem in him getting it. And so he sets this guy up and uh, he says, here's the piece of land. By the way, Naomi. Naomi comes with the property. Uh, Mother-in-law number two, probably. And uh, by the way, there's also Ruth, the Moabitess. You do realize that you're going to have to take on the responsibility of an outsider. The way he said Moabitess, he adds it on. It's not just Naomi and Ruth, his daughter-in-law. It's Ruth, the Moabitess. And the guy says, whoa, hang on a sec. That's going to cause me problems. That's going to give me difficulties. It's going to cause, my, cause problems in my own estate. You know, we're going to end up with, with my, uh, my inheritance diluted for my own children. I, I don't want another, another mother-in-law, thanks very much. One's fine. I, I don't want another wife. And I definitely don't want another baby because that's what Boaz says. You've got to take her on. And you've got to provide children. Because my estate, it's just a bit of land. My estate will then be diluted amongst all. I don't want anything to do with this. Listen, I tell you what, you take her. <laughs> and Boaz goes, yes. I've won her. I've won the girl. Now, off with the sandal. You witnessed it, guys. Here's the transaction. It's done. It's dusted. I've got her. I've won her. I I've negotiated it. It's all above board. I've not done anything underhand. Here's the situation. I have won Ruth. This woman who is worth winning. Don't fancy a cheap bit of land. I'm not really too worried about the land. It's not about the land. I've, I mean, look, I've just been 
harvesting on land. I've got plenty of land, but Ruth. Ruth is worth everything. It's a great story, isn't it? It's it's the kind of an insight, I guess, into the kind of the kind of men that we need to be, but the kind of women that we need to be as well. Here's Ruth. She just goes back to Naomi. He's, he's going to sort it. He said he's going to sort it, okay? If he's the kind of guy that's going to sort it, you trust him. Hand it over to him. You just believe that it's going to happen. Allow him to get on and do it. Sadly, we don't live in that kind of world. We're so tainted by the kind of world that we now live in. We, we fail to trust in that way. It's a tragedy. I mean, really, it, we, we see it just spread across the paper, uh, even in this past week. It, it, uh, in fact, um, this guy, Mark Croft, so most of you won't know him, but Mark Croft is the uh, husband, I think maybe even now, the ex-husband, possibly, of um, that Kerry Katona, uh, who we all know and love so much. Um, Kerry Katona. He's, Mark Croft, in this past week, has actually managed to do something that I did not think was possible. He's actually managed to make me feel sorry for Kerry Katona. <laughs> because this guy, it now turns out, in all of the time that they were together, in an underhand, behind-the-scenes kind of way, was selling her location to the paparazzi. Selling what was going on. He was getting backhanders from the cameraman outside the door for his wife. I mean, I, I, that's an extreme. But it's no wonder, is it, that we live in the kind of world where trust and relationship and integrity and faithfulness is just gone. Guys, we are called to live dramatically different lives. You know, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much in one sense to live a life of integrity. And yet it does. Because we can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own strength. But it, but it just shines out a different life. It just shines out a different way of living. Just like Ruth shined out a different way of living uh, to, to Boaz who just fought for her. But we always say, don't we, that there's something more. Is this just uh, you know, a girl from rags to riches? You know, the, the kind of princess kind of story all turns out beautifully, wonderfully. You know, they, they get married and she gets the dress and they get the, 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 uh, the meal and they get the honeymoon and, you know, she ends up in a nice house. The pretty woman kind of story. Is that what it's all about? Or is the Bible something more? Well, thankfully, it is something more. We're always reminded that there is this golden thread a golden thread of preparation and, and journey 
towards Jesus. It cost Boaz to redeem Ruth. He didn't need to. He didn't need to. It wasn't worth it for him in one sense. He had to then provide for Naomi. He had to provide for Ruth. He had to provide for the whole situation. He had to purchase the land. It cost him. But it's preparing us for something greater. It's preparing us for another Redeemer. A Redeemer who, oh, it cost him. It cost Jesus to redeem us. We came empty, just like Ruth. We came poverty stricken, just like Ruth. We came facing death, just like Ruth. We came facing hopelessness, just like Ruth. And a great hero steps in. And his name is Jesus. And there's a legal problem in the way. The legal problem is this, that God's justice demands that sin is paid for by death. And so, he determines with his Father, a plan is constructed before this world was ever created. You, son, you're going to be elevated so that everybody will see that you are the ultimate redeemer. You are the one who redeems above normal cost. You are the one who redeems by by laying down your life. Wow, it costs you. It costs you your life. It costs you your dignity. The fact that you are living now with all of the splendor of heaven surrounding you, that will be taken from you. You will live as a peasant. You will be disregarded by those who you created. Then they will slay you. It'll cost you. It'll cost us. Because my justice demands that it is met. It'll cost more than that. And then the great news is this. But we'll triumph. The legal issue will be resolved. You'll get the bride. Who's the bride? It's you and me. Because Jesus, he didn't need to do it. It wasn't something that he was forced into. But he wanted to do it. He wanted to do it because he loves. More dramatically, more powerfully than Boaz. And he's determined to win the bride. In Revelation we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the new people of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. What a beautiful picture. Boaz is somebody to aspire to, but only because he displays a greater redeemer. That is the purpose of marriage. 
to display a great redeemer. To display the perfect love of Jesus. Who wins his bride. Delights in his bride. Defeats the obstacles. Stands the pace. Finishes the course. And wins his people. It's a bit of a Cinderella story really. I guess the story of Ruth. She's got nothing. But the prince finds her and wins her. It's a timeless story, Cinderella, really, isn't it? I mean, it was written a few hundred years ago, and yet it still just keeps coming round and round and round again. It just keeps coming round again in different, different kind of guises. It's the same story. Why is that? Because being redeemed by love is more of a story than Cinderella. It wasn't conceived by that writer. It was conceived by God before the world was ever created. Redeemed by love. The story of Ruth. Displayed, yes, in just an ordinary family. And yet preparing us for an extraordinary elder brother and husband and bride, Jesus himself. 